everybody. It is good to see you as well. It's good to be seen. Um, It's amazing to be back in the round. I love worshiping and being back in this setting and uh, being able to be together to see each other worshiping and and engage in that together. Um, I just want to jump in. There's a few things on my heart this morning that I want to share before we get into Acts 14. Um, And uh, just to catch up everybody on on our process a little bit. Um, As many many of you know that... um, Kate and I have been on a leave of absence for the last couple months after my, uh, my brother Jeff passed away from COVID in, in early August, and I know a lot of you know that, and, but some of you may not know that, and, um, and so we are stepping back in this morning, and, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about what that means, what that means for us, what that means for our church, and, and, uh, and I know that for a lot of you, you knew Jeff, you were friends with Jeff, he... Um, he and Deanna started coming to this church in the mid-90s. Um, as, the, as they are teaching in school now, the late 1900s. <laughs> so my kids, I was like, wait, run that by me again? What did you just say? <laughs> oh, yeah, Dad, we were, we were in history class. We were talking about the late 1900s. Like MC Hammer? <laughs> but Jeff and Deanna... Uh, and their kids, their family, they've been a part of this church. And so I know a lot of you know them, and, and we're all processing this in, in, in our own way, and, uh, and it's been hard. Um, I think the impact of Jeff's passing on, on this church, but also on the community at large, and the, and the impact that he made, and the different groups and people that he affected, that he was a part of so many different things. So we're walking this out uh, gingerly. We're walking this out the best that we can. We're very thankful for uh, this incredible community that has surrounded us uh, and surrounded our family and just held space for us. It's been a gift. Um, and, uh, but after taking a couple months of a leave, I, I'm back up here this morning. And I'm back up here teaching this morning, and so I think it would do us all justice to this, to this journey and this process if I could share a couple things about what that means and what that doesn't mean. Um, one thing that I want to make sure that it, it doesn't mean is that we're 100% back, that Kate and I are back. We are, we're not back. You're going to hear us say this phrase a lot, we're not back, we're here. Uh, we can't define what back even looks like at this point in, in our lives and heart and in, the, and in this journey with living waters, but we do know that we are here and that uh, every place where we feel like God puts grace on us to be able to say, hey, Ryan, there's grace to be able to teach this morning. Then I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to teach this morning, but we're not going to make promises. We're not going to make big declarations about, about what, this, what this means because then we end up trying to hold to those instead of holding... Um, very tightly to Jesus in this process, and that's where we want to find ourselves, um, is just walking in that grace. Um, second thing, it doesn't mean that we're all healed up. Um, grief is not linear, and um, we are not expecting to get through this. We're not expecting to get past this. We believe this is something that we will, we know that this is something that we will carry, and, and God will meet us in the midst of it, and he will he will show us how to have the strength to carry it, but grief isn't something that we should be looking at as if, when do, I get, when do I get over this? When do I get past this? When am I through this? It's not that. This becomes part of our story, and it becomes part of our journey, and God meets us in that and shows us how to carry that. In fact, it honors grief. It honors the story. It honors the journey when we aren't looking at grief as something to eject from our life, but actually something that, that, that mm, brings parts of our stories together. 
and allows us to walk with Jesus in ways where maybe we hadn't been able to before. Um, so the other thing is I want to make sure that we talk about this is that it doesn't mean for Kate and I that we're going to be 100% available immediately for calls and texts and meetings and um, coffees and counseling and, and marriage coaching and life coaching and those things that we so love to do. Uh, being up here doesn't necessarily reflect that that is our availability all of a sudden. Um, we, it's, and that's not about our desire or, or our heart to be in that capacity in that place for everyone, but it is about being wise for us in the season that we're in and, and, and how we approach it and how we walk this out. And so we will um, probably still be in a place where our focus for the for the immediate future and probably through the next several months is to make sure that primarily our family and, and Jeff and uh, Jeff's family and Deanna and the kids are are well cared for, my parents are well cared for, and we're all in that together, but that's what our primary focus is, and so we have to be able to guard um, our hearts and our lives to make sure that we have the energy and the capacity to take care of the things that we need to take care of primarily. Um, the, the, the thing that I know is that I can't show up for my family in the ways that I need to show up if I'm trying to go up to top speed as a leader of, of, of this Living Waters community, and the good news about uh, that is that this Living Waters community is full of great leaders. And so it's not as if it's like, wait, watch out, everybody. We got we to gotta get back in there because this thing is, is veering um, far, 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 far from it. And we want to say thank you, just publicly thank you to all of you who have stepped up and also to our leadership team who has stepped up in incredible ways and will continue to step up in incredible ways and are, and are leading this house and will continue to lead this house, uh, lead us forward. And we trust them and we're excited to be able to, for Kate and I, to be able to rest in their gift and to rest in their, the way that they're honoring Jeff and, the, and our family by, by pulling in and doing those things. And we get to just sit in that as well and go forward together as a community with you. And that's a gift. So thank you publicly. Just thank you for our team. Um, and, then, and then the final thing I want to address is this, is that I have a public platform as a public person, but that doesn't mean that my process is always going to be public. Um, I, I don't have to stand up here and show you how sad I am every time I'm up here. I am sad. Um, and, but when I, when I am doing something that I love and I'm passionate about, like teaching and encouraging, you're going to see me just engage in an anointing, a gift that God has given to me, and I'm able to do that, but that is not incongruent with the reality that I am carrying deep grief and deep sadness, and I will not uh, stand up here and make you have to experience that every time that I come up here, but you will experience that. And you will be invited into that sometimes. I am, not gonna, I am also not going to present a model to this community that says, go away and deal with your grief and your sadness and your pain and your mistakes or your failures or whatever it is. Get those all buttoned up behind the scenes and then come and present yourself to us and say, I'm okay. God is good. Praise the Lord. Don't do that either. And so I don't want to make that the model where there isn't place where we hold space to process grief and talk about pain and talk about the things that we are, we are carrying and working through. There will be times and spaces for that. And there are also times and spaces where we just jump in to the, to the, to the opportunity that we have maybe in a gathering to say, let's teach the word and let's jump in here. And so um, I may laugh, I may joke, I may have a good time and that's okay because this is how we process all of this out together. And it's how you can walk it out. It's how I can walk it out. Um, but that public platform doesn't require that I, that I publicly process everything 
that is, that is going on in, in and around our life, but we do not want to hide it also and just cover it up. So there will be some, some times in the future when we're getting together as a community where we, we will ask the Lord to show us how to even do that corporately. How do we engage in some of these things, the, these grief points? Because we're not under any kind of illusion that Kate and I and Deanna and the kids and the family, that we're the only ones who have suffered loss or have, are dealing with grief or are experiencing something painful in this current season. We don't, we don't believe that, and so we want to be in this together, and that's why we are not saying we're back. We are saying we're here, and the thing that we're convinced of is that the only way we do this, the only way we get through this is together, so we'll create some spaces for us as a community to be able to process that. I believe that, that um, the way that we move forward is not by avoiding these things in our lives, but by inviting Holy Spirit to meet us in them as, as we walk them out. And so we're gonna, we're gonna continue to do that as a family. Um, what we do know is this. We, we don't know a lot. We don't know what back looks like. We don't know what the road ahead looks like. Um, but we do know this is that we are grateful, that we are feeling deeply held by God and by this, this amazing community. And we, while we believe that God has much ahead for us, we don't wanna be people who are so much about what's, what's up there, what's up there, what's up there, that we don't uh, allow God to meet us powerfully and profoundly right here in our journey as a Living Waters community, as a family, and as people. And so I do get excited as a person who loves vision. I like to be like, but guess what's right around the bend? And God is a lot of times going, but guess what I want to do right here? And so we, we, we remain committed to that process and however long it takes to make sure that we don't rush into the next season without getting everything that God has for us in this season. So um, those are some things that I just wanted to share with you from heart as we are, are diving back into this time uh, and even into this series. So this morning, uh, Acts chapter 14, we are going through this series and it is called Communities of Transformation. The question that we asked in the heart behind this series has been, what would it look like for us? What would it be like for us to look at the book of Acts and watch how the gospel was taking root and transforming communities? And then how could we look at those, those stories and bring them to life in our lives today? What would it look like for living waters to be a community of transformation? What would it look like for your home group to be a community of transformation? What would it look like for your life and your family and your house, your workplace, to be a part of a community of transformation? And we have this incredible journey through Acts where that's what's happening. Everywhere the early followers of Jesus were going, they were seeing the gospel bring transformation. And so we have this blueprint and we wanna draw from it and that's why we've been going through Acts. And so if you will turn with me to Acts chapter 14, we'll, we'll dive in here. And what it is right now in, this, in the part of the book that we're in, Paul and Barnabas are, are wrapping up their first missionary journey. And you guys have spent the first last few weeks going through this. And again, I know, thank you, thank you, thank you just to our incredible teaching team, to Kim and Drew and Nisha. Um, we don't know everybody uh, or what everybody has done while we have been on our leave, but we do know that those incredible teachers stepped in and, have, and will continue to step in as we move forward as a house. But we're so thankful for the, for the journey they've taken us on through these last several chapters of Acts. And so Paul and Barnabas are wrapping up this missionary journey, uh, the first one that they've been on. And, um, and so we, uh, we want to say, okay, what can we find out of this passage of Scripture that will inspire us and refine us to be a community of Jesus followers who are bringing transformation in our life? And it begins like this. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. They spoke of Jesus, or, or as we'll say this morning, you'll hear me say this a lot, of the gospel, which is, just, which is telling the truth in the story of Jesus or the good news of Jesus. So they spoke 
so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed in their message. Effectively is a word that I want you to circle or underline or just make a mental note of. How they taught, what they did, it proved to be quantifiably effective. It worked. And the challenge that we get from that is this. Let's minister to people in the way that they need, not in the way that we prefer. Let's not minister to people the way that we experienced it in the late 1900s. Let's do it. Let's say, what is God doing in 2021? And how is the gospel effective in people's lives as we present it, as we carry the good news of Jesus? How is it effective? Let's not make it how we want to do it, but let's pay attention to culture and the things that are going on around us to be able to say, how do I live my life that is effective towards seeing people reached with your story, with your story, Jesus? And so that's what they did. They they had this effectiveness. So note that. Moving on, the Jews who refused to believe, though, they stirred up the other Gentiles and they poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas and the disciples. And, And so... It poisoned their minds. Where the gospel exists, opposition will exist. We understand that. But notice this. Mind-poisoned people. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a bit. Mind-poisoned people didn't become people to chastise, for them to avoid, for them to mock, or for them to dismiss. What it did instead, what it was, was an opportunity for them to reach them. So how did they do that? Next verse says this. They spent considerable time there with them. They spoke boldly for the Lord. They spoke boldly of Jesus' redemptive story. And, the, and, and then Jesus confirmed, or, or the Spirit of God confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So signs that point to God, wonders that make people go, wait, what if this is true? So they performed these signs and wonders. Look at this uh, real quickly with me. Considerable time is what they did. They committed to remain in tension with those who were contending against them. And they invested in those who opposed them or those who were being influenced by those who opposed them. They invested in them and they stayed. They didn't fight back. They didn't walk out. They didn't form a protest, a sit-in or anything like that. They didn't attack people. They didn't mock people. They didn't see themselves as victims. They didn't demand their rights as Roman citizens or whatever, they just said, we're going to stick here with this opposition, within this opposition, and with people. And because they stayed, and because they spoke the message of Jesus effectively, it began to break through. And what happened when it broke through is that signs and wonders took place. If we want a lifestyle of signs and wonders, here's something that we need to get. We need to understand that when we are proclaiming the truth of Jesus with our lives, with our mouths, with our actions to people, that, that God's Spirit desires to confirm His story and His truth by signs and wonders and things that make people's eyes open and hearts open to the truth of Jesus. So what, sometimes we're like, God, we want to see miracles. We want to see signs and wonders, right? We totally do. But when we get that in front, when that becomes the primary focus, we start saying, God, signs, wonders, miracles, signs, wonders, miracles. Let's have conferences and classes and trainings and activations and all of those things. And people are going, signs, wonders, miracles. Instead of saying, wait, what is it that opens up the opportunity for those things to take place? It is when Jesus is preached effectively and clearly, and he wants to confirm that message through you by saying, I will show up. That person you're talking to, 
Find out. Share Jesus with them. Find out what it is that they need in their life that would be like, what would be a change for you? What is something that you are dealing with? What is something that you are confronting? And, and say, let's pray for that thing. Let's ask God to show up in that place. The God that I just told you about. Sharing your redemptive story. Now, I get it that you guys aren't traveling from like synagogue to synagogue, city to city, preaching Jesus. You're not. But... You can, you can find the people in your life that are ready to hear about Jesus. You don't have to, it's not like every time you get your coffee from the barista, you say, Jesus is good, he loves you, and he died for your sins, and he wants to forgive you. Thank you, have a good day. Like, it's not that. It's that you are watching for people, and we'll see this in just a moment, that you're watching for people. And you may not be preaching in the synagogue, you may not be preaching in the streets, but you are always you are always declaring the truth of Jesus to people around you. And there are certain people in your life right now, today, who have opened doors to the gospel of Jesus. And as you watch for those people, you will be able to share your redemptive story with Jesus to them. And that will begin to stir up faith in them. And as their faith is stirred up, we'll watch this in just a second. As their faith is stirred up, that's when you can step in and miracles begin to take place. So one of the things I love about preaching is when you preach your message before you get to it, and then you get to preach it again in a couple minutes. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. Um, so the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. But there was a plot afoot among, afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and they fled. And they left and they went to the city of Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Here's the theme. They had opposition. They would stay. And then once the opposition began to drive them out, they would go, okay, we'll go over here. What are we going to do over here? Throw a fit because we didn't get to stay over there? Should we get angry? Should we demand? Should we go, ah, I can't believe that I'm over here. I wanted to be over there. No. Over here, they just said, well, what do we do here? We tell people about Jesus. Let's tell our redemptive stories of how Jesus rescued us, met us, has changed our lives, our families, our stories, and let's tell that to people wherever we find ourselves. And if there's pushback or you get moved out or we have to do it in some other place in some other way, then guess what? We're not going to worry so much that we don't get to do it the way we did it in the late 1900s. We're going to say, well, right here, right now, we'll just do what? We're going to tell people the redemptive story of Jesus. We're going to invite them to know him, to commit their lives to him, to give their hearts to him, to surrender to him, and to follow him as disciples, and that will be effective in people's lives. And so there was this big plot to stone um, Paul or Barnabas or someone. They wanted, to, they wanted to kill him. So one thing I would chastise us about in this current uh, cultural climate, if I could, for just a moment, is this. We, we tend to hop around from plot to plot against God. Like we're all very hyper aware that, that we are being resisted, that the gospel is being resisted, that culture is against us, that there is this plot is against the church and this plot is against the church and certainly this one is against the gospel and against the kingdom. And we all get a little bit too good at seeing all these different plots and maybe sometimes we even start to see them so well that we're making them up and we're mainlining fear and worry because, oh no, we're under attack from this direction and we're under attack from this direction and oh we're under attack from this direction whatever shall we do and we become like these these uh these detectives that we feel like we're helping god by getting to the to the bottom of who is it, who's against the church like what's really i'm pretty sure it's pepsi company i'm pretty sure that's who it is and and you know there's like there's a, it was whoever it might be this is who's against god and we, we want to be detectives and get to the bottom of these plots 
And we find other people who want to get to the bottom of these plots too. And we, we, come, we get them around and we go like, tell us about what you've discovered. And like, oh, I found out about this and about this. Oh my, oh no, certainly <laughs> we're doomed, right? This is what we get to. It's like all these plots are against us. And, and, I, and I want to say this. We worry, we find other people that worry as if this latest plot that we've uncovered or that someone has uncovered, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you could probably go by decade and list three different books that are written every decade about how the church is gonna fail, how it's the end of the world, how the kingdom isn't gonna advance, how the gospel is being broken or whatever it is. And you can, you, if you remember, you'll be like, oh yeah, that one, that one, that one. It happens over and over again. Why? Because unfortunately, the, uh, sometimes we, as a church, as a uh, so, uh, yeah, we can, uh, fear, fear sells way too well to the American Christian, and it's, and it's, and it's a bummer. Um, okay, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things, I said, this, or I said this in the first gathering, I was like, one of the things about grief is like, um, you, you kind of realize you don't have the same filter that you had before, so I'm going to try to stick to my notes. Here we are, Okay. So you uncover these plots as if this latest plot is something new and different. So hear me say this. Since the church was born, there has been plots against it. Some of them have been secret. Some of them have been overt, right? Uh, Some of them have been completely obvious. But not one of them has been effective has been effective over any length of time at diminishing the light of the gospel or the advancing of the kingdom for long, if at all. So there's nothing new afoot. And the way to combat these different plots that are against the church, the kingdom, and the gospel is the same that it was for Paul and Barnabas is what? We declare the truth of Jesus and the redemptive story of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. And if people move us and push us, then we stand there and we declare it there. And if they move us over here, then we declare it there. And if we can't do this, then we'll do this. And if we can't do that, we'll do this. And what will happen is that the miraculous power of God will continue to bring fruitfulness from the declaration of the truth of Jesus to our culture and to people whose hearts are open. There are plots against the church, the kingdom, and the gospel. There have always been, there will always be, and the way that we come against them and overcome them is the same that it has always been. So, in Lystra, carrying on, verse 8, there sat a man who was lame. He uh, had been that way from birth. And had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Such a powerful moment. But how did this transpire? He noticed that this man had faith that was being stirred up as Jesus was proclaimed. And when he recognized that faith, he stepped into it in that moment. And that was the combination of heaven meeting earth where faith was stirred up and someone saw it and stepped in and declared healing over this man's life who had been, who had been unable to walk since birth. And Jesus healed him as confirmation of his message that Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming. This is the example of what verse 3 described, where they stayed with people, they proclaimed Jesus, and they saw signs and wonders. This is what it looked like in that moment. 
Because Paul saw that this man had faith, and, and Paul carried with him an awareness and an eyes open to saying, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? He was able to partner with God in that moment. So this goes to what I was saying earlier. You are not preaching in the synagogue, but you are wa- walking through your school. You're walking through your workplace. You're walking through your family, your relationships. And if you will have eyes open to say, okay, God, where is faith being stirred up? It just Even if it's only one person in my life... It, Look, if you're sitting here today and you can ask the Spirit of God to show you one person in your life that you have influence and access to right now, and instead of trying to figure out how do I, how do I live, how do I present the gospel to every single person in my sphere of influence, but you say, God, I want to see the person whose faith is, even if it's a tiny little stirring, I want to know who that person is, and then I want to engage with you for that person's heart and life and story. And I want to see their story grafted into your story. And I want to see them redeemed and set free and made new. Just one person, if each one of us did that. And this is such a pastor thing to say, oh my goodness. It's like when you're, when you're a parent, you say, I'm never, I swear I'm never going to say, just do it because I told you so and I'm your dad. Well, here's one of those pastor things. If we could all simply reach one person and say, come and follow Jesus with me. Imagine the impact the community of transformation that would grow from that. I think that sometimes when we speak from the front and we talk about these grandiose ideas of sharing the gospel and tearing, telling our redemptive story of Jesus, we, we imagine something far bigger than we need to imagine. Think about it as that person with your eyes open who you're seeing, there's a little stirring of faith. How do I partner with that? What is a miracle that's gonna take place when I push into that, into that right? So, then we move on to, verses, to verse 11. After this healing took place, uh, the people thought that, that Paul and Barnabas were gods. They, they said, you are Zeus and you are Hermes and Paul and Barnabas, and they were going to sacrifice to them. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, please don't sacrifice to us. We're, we're not Zeus. We're not Hermes. Um, this thing that happened happened because of Jesus. It happened through the power and the presence of the living God, Jesus, the Messiah. And, and, and then they said, wait, what? And so we're not going to sacrifice to you. We're going to sacrifice you. And so, they like, whoa, take it easy. Um, so, then it says, verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, which, if you note this, this is continued opposition from their past. People are now following them along their missionary journey. Uh, these people came and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of, of disciples. Look again. Stoned, dragged out of the city, left for dead. He's not dead. They get up. Do they go back into the city, kick down doors and go, we have the right to be here. Roman citizens, you can't do that to us. No. They say, okay. Uh, we led a lot of people, we, we gained a lot of disciples here, but it, maybe it feels like that door's closed a little bit. Um, let's just move on. But what did they do when they moved on? They continued to proclaim the redemptive story of Jesus, and people heard and became disciples, right? Such a, such a cool um, story in there. I wish I had more time to unpack it. Was that a resurrection? What the heck happened? I, I mean, it's incredible, right? Paul's dead, or at least enough that people think that, and he gets up, goes back into the city. So this is the pattern that I want you to pick up on this morning. 
Even against this continued ongoing massive opposition, the gospel continued to win disciples. Opposition doesn't hinder God. In fact, in the next verse, verse 21, they say this. They return from the way they'd come. They're moving. Now they're going back through their missionary journey, and they are reconnecting with the communities of faith that they created along the way, uh, and they're encouraging them. And here's, what they, here's their message to them. Um, and imagine hearing this message from Paul, who is probably black and blue and bruised and, and beaten, and he's going to say this to them. Uh, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They're like, yeah, no kidding, man. Um, so this is the, but this is the reality, is that living and entering into a kingdom lifestyle includes many hardships. You know that, we know that, that following Jesus doesn't mean, oh, everything is simple now, everything is fixed. It means that as we follow him, we may come into hardships, we may come into conflict, we may be opposed, we may have terrible plots and things happen against us to undermine us, to, to destroy our, uh, our integrity or our reputation, and that is, those things will happen, but that is part of enduring the hardships that we, get to, that we have to walk through in order to advance and walk and experience the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so on a ride, and then they went back through, they encouraged everybody, and then they went back to Antioch. And once they arrived there, they gathered the church together, and this is the church that had sent them out, and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It's such a beautiful picture of the church gathering together um, to hear the good stories of all that God had done. If there was a way that I could make that, and, I, and, I, and I'm, and I'm if, if there's a way that I could make that, if, if somehow I had some sort of influence around here, um, <laughs> uh, if we could continue to have this be our heart, that when we come together, we are coming together not to get something as if we are in need and we're barely surviving from Sunday to Sunday, but that we would be coming together to celebrate together the good things that God is doing through our lives and the power of the gospel and the miracles and the signs and the wonders that are taking place in our life laid down for him. And we would come back together and say, I cannot wait to get back together with my friends and my family and my family community to be able to worship Jesus because of all the life that is happening around my life and outside of the gathering place. And that when we come together, it's to celebrate. It's not to just be, be fed and propped up for another week, but really the life that's happening is out there and the celebration that's happening is in here. And that we just come together to be able to say, man, the things that God is doing, you wouldn't believe it, I can't wait. Like we sing these songs on Sunday mornings. What is the catalyst and the reason that our hearts sing them? It's sometimes it's because we are hurting and we need them, but I would love it also if we are singing just from a place of, man, God, you are doing so much incredible work in, through, and around my life. So what is the challenge that we gain from Acts 14? I want to point out a few things from you. I've already touched on them a little bit, so I'll try not to be too repetitive for you this morning. But what can we gain? What can we be challenged in? To be a community of transformation. We have to make sure our message is effective. Paul and Barnabas taught the good news of Jesus in a way that was quantifiably effective. It was measurably effective. So my question for you is this. Is your voice being heeded or is it just being heard? Are you bringing the harmony of truth or are you bringing more noise and division with your voice? Are you adding to the, the oh man, did you, did you hear what just happened? So that was Switchfoot lyrics that I was just going into. It's like I just clicked into Switchfoot. Are you adding to the noise? Um, is your voice being heeded or is it just being heard as part of the, uh, the cacophony of division and um, remember this, 
The God that you serve, the God that we proclaim as our Lord, as our Savior, as the one that we've surrendered our life to is a God who whispers and speaks in a still, small voice. We have to lean in often to hear and get the heart of the Father. And it would be good for us to remember that and be better at reflecting that. It, rather than shouting at those who have their ears plugged or those who are shouting back at us, let's lean in and speak to those who are ready to listen. Let's lean in and speak the gospel, the truth of Jesus to people who have open ears and open hearts, and our message will be more effective that way. Number two, we must not dismiss. If we're going to be a community of transformation, we must not dismiss, mock, or fight against those that we are called to reach. Verse two, but those who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. Poisoned their minds, as we talked about this earlier, didn't mean that they were to be ostracized, chastised, avoided, mocked, or dismissed. Did I just get turned way up? No, okay. It's God who whispers. So I'm gonna whisper to you for the rest of the message. Did you know that there's a condition that people have that, if you, that some people cannot stand to hear someone whisper? Is there anyone here that has that where you're just like, that is a serious pet peeve, someone whispering, hey, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> um, so remember, or, or the question I have for you is this. Are you dismissing, diminishing, or devaluing those who oppose your message and your life lived for Jesus? Are the people on the other side, the other side of the argument, the other side of the aisle, the other side of the cultural perspective from you, are they your enemies to fight or are they opportunities for the love of God to be made manifest through you to them? So too often in the last couple of years with so much disagreement going on, I've heard a lot of mocking. I've heard a ton of labeling of people. And when we label people, the reason we label people is so that we can dismiss them. We categorize them as something and then we set them aside instead of seeing them as an integrate, uh, as, a, as a very, um, I, 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 what, what, what are we seeing them as? Just as this story and this life with different experiences and perspectives and realities and a completely different journey than you. And when we don't want to see that in people, we slap a label on them and we set them aside. And so what God is asking us to do is not to diminish, devalue, or dismiss people, not to label them. Um, and, and listen, if that's you, if that's the way you're treating people who are on the other side of these perspectives and things from you, you, you shouldn't be doing that, number one. But you can't just say, well, they did it to me first. That's how they treated us. And so therefore, it's okay for the, the, us to treat them that way. No, this is not first grade. We are not at recess on the playground. It's not how that works. Like we are called to a higher standard, and we are called to a higher way of living that reflects the love and the truth, the character of Jesus to people in everything that we do, living and loving those around us into relationship with Jesus, even if they are currently in opposition to us and they have poisoned minds, as this scripture says. I'm not saying anybody has poisoned minds, by the way. I'm just saying this reference that. So, um, Number three. To be community of transformation, we have to exhibit a kingdom patience while God works. 
How did Paul and Barnabas respond in Acts 14? They, they spent considerable time with people, they spoke boldly, and they saw signs and wonders take place because they were willing to be patient and engage in the process. They weren't looking for quick fixes or quick solutions. They said, there's value in this person, this relationship, and this friendship. That's, my, that's where I want to pursue them, and I'm not going to try to get to a destination or a quick fix. I'm going to be present with them, and I'm going to let God do the miraculous work of reaching their heart. So question for you is this. How have you responded to people who seemingly are opposed to or not interested in your faith in Jesus and the way that you live that out? Are you willing? Are you willing to live and wait in tension with people? Not to prove them wrong, but to allow God to work. Are you willing to continue to speak boldly of the redemptive story of Jesus and what it's meant to your life? Are you willing to look for miracles to take place? Are you willing to look for those places where faith is being stirred up as, and, and step into those and let those things take place in God's timing? Because I will tell you that those things happening are far better indicators of the presence of God than our frustrated, our dismissive, or our defensive response and attitude toward culture and towards the world out there. So, number four, how to be a community of transformation. We must carry an awareness to see through the lens of, God, what are you doing? And we talked about this a little bit earlier, so I'm not going to belabor this point. But my question for you today is this. Are we living with our eyes open to the faith that is rising around us, and are we ready to move with God when we see it? So do you typically in a day, just an honest question here. <laughs> Do we typically focus on what hell is up to or what heaven is up to? Because there's two types of Christians I've noticed. One that sows, sows seeds of the gospel and one that sows seeds of hopelessness. And if we are sowing seeds of hopelessness because we wake up and we start our day more focused on what hell is doing and how we're losing and how things aren't happening the way that we want them to happen, the question becomes, why am I planting? Why am I sowing seeds if I don't even believe that those seeds are going to bear fruit or that there is a new season on the horizon? But if we will wake up and say, wait, God, before I take in all this negativity or before I focus on what isn't right or what hell is doing, I want to be focused, God, on what you are doing. And when that becomes your standard for the day, checking all of your inputs, but when what God is doing becomes your standard for the day, everything else that wants to enter into your heart and your mind gets to come past that checkpoint of saying, wait, I have established my day, my heart, and my life on what God is doing, and everything else comes into alignment with that, or it doesn't belong and doesn't get to come in to my story today. Um, and that's how we stir up faith, faith. That's how we watch, as Paul did. That's how we are ready to act. One of the things that I want to say is this. What would be a sign and a wonder that someone would recognize in our world today? And I think that's where there's a challenge to this community. I believe that a sign and a wonder that would awaken this current culture and people around us is a community of people who are so committed to one another that we are walking in unity to Jesus that brings us out of points of division, brings us out of points of disagreement, brings us into the thing of saying we have come together for a greater thing and that when people experience the division that's happening in culture and then they step into your home, into your home group into your life at a coffee shop or into this gathering that they say there is something tangibly different here in the atmosphere there isn't a division there isn't a contention there isn't a disgruntledness you love each other you serve each other you lay down your lives for each other and you're looking outward from this place to the community and even though when you sit side by side if I took any of you and I put you at a coffee shop and said talk to each other about everything you would find things that you disagree on so quickly but what if 
we didn't emphasize our disagreements so much, but we found the unity of Jesus, and we said, this is what it looks like to be a community. We can encourage those who don't know Jesus. We can encourage those who are following Jesus. We can encourage them to say, look, this is what a truly life-laid-down community of people looks like when we love each other more than we love getting embroiled in all the disagreement and disconnection that's happening around us. And typically, I wouldn't say that that's miraculous, that that's a sign and wonder. I'm the guy that's like, no, somebody coming out of, their, uh, out of a wheelchair, that's a sign and wonder. Um, the s- rain falling after years of drought, that's a sign or a wonder. Like, those are signs and wonders. Don't tell me about a sign and wonder of kumbaya, we're all getting along. But I think you guys have been existing in this last couple years with me where you can say, wait, you know what? If that actually were taking place, it would be an absolute miracle. And so to get that kind of miracle, what do we have to do? We have to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. We have to let, allow that to stir up our faith, faith. And then we've got to step into those things and say, no, I'm not going to sow division with you. I'm going to connect with you. I'm not going to judge you because you said something or you posted that thing or get angry. I'm going to believe the best about you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to honor you and I'm going to pray for you. And if we walk in that way, that miraculous, that re- miraculous reality that we create will be so powerful to, to a culture and to people who need it deeply. And so typically I'd say that's not really a miracle, but this is not a typical time. In this moment in our nation, the greatest miracle I am crying out for as a leader of this house is that this would be a group of people embedded within our city who pursue unity in Jesus together in a way that demonstrates something to the world around us, even Christians and churches, that is healing the tearing and fragmenting that is taking place and is recognizably different to those who don't know Jesus. Listen, we aren't unified here because of our nationality. We aren't unified because of our age. We aren't unified because of our job similarity or income level. We aren't unified because of our political party. None of these things have the power to unify us. We need something greater to unify us in a way that is impossible apart from Jesus. That's the miracle. That's the sign and the wonder that I want to see. So as I close this morning on Acts 14, If we are to be a community of transformation, we must learn this lesson from Acts 14. The historical context of this story tells us this. Despite continued trials, despite a variety of changing settings and situations, regions and people, despite opposition in the places they were and opposition following them from the places they had been, the gospel flourished and the church grew. During Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, they ministered to a multitude of people with diverse nationalities and backgrounds, uh, different cities with different governments, with different leaders, with different systems in place, powerful cities and poor cities, to religious people and to non-religious people, to Jews and to Gentiles, and the gospel flourished in every context. And that means that our present-day application of this as a community of transformation is despite trials, Despite a variety of changing settings and situations, despite some stumbling and bumbling, some externally caused and some that we have caused ourselves, despite opposition, the gospel, the true good news of Jesus will flourish and his church will grow no matter what. And so the prayer that I have for us this morning as we close is this, God, that you would change our heart to be whatever you need us to be in this current context in 2021 heading into 2022 we are ready you are the refiner make us into keys that unlock people's hearts to you to you jesus in our region that we may join with that they may join with us as disciples and followers of jesus 
that we would step into a miraculously united community that is the opposite of what current culture and much of what Christian culture is modeling today. Make us what you need to pray, to show your gospel to people, to unlock hearts, and to invite them into a healthy community that is centered on Jesus in everything that we do. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, Go grab your kids, Kingdom Kids. Remember, it's Christina's birthday over there, so everybody say happy birthday to Christina when you pick up your kiddos. We love you. Thank you for being here.